You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Thank you so much for hanging out. This is Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast, the staple show. He is Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. We are so excited to be with you on this Wednesday ahead of week three. Ryan Talbot, we got a busy show tonight. Are you excited? I'm very excited, Matt. Happy to be here. Like you said, this is the staple show, so I'm ready and raring to get ready to go here. Shout is brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets. Whether you're celebrating at home or away this weekend, having some family parties, getting together for the game, Tops has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football, entertaining, or any occasion. Get to Tops Friendly Markets this weekend. All right, so a little bit of a rundown here at the top, what we're going to get into today. I got a couple things. We talked to AJ Epinesa today uh, during practice. I want to get into that a little bit, rehash his game from Sunday. I want to do a little bit more of a deep dive on Josh Allen's game because we talked about it pretty much in length, but I think we both had a chance to go back, watch the game, talk to Brian Dable, Sean McDermott, and Josh Allen. I want to dive into that a little bit more. We're going to start off the show. We got a clip from Josh Allen here uh, that we'll begin with. We'll get into some injuries, some news. There were some workouts this week. There was a new signing back to the practice squad. A little cliffhanger there. Stay tuned. I know you're all excited to hear about it. And then we will be joined. It's going to be our first look at the Buffalo Bills versus the Washington football team. Uh, Sam Fortier from the Washington Post is going to join us. I'm so uh, excited to have him on. Uh, And then we're going to have another show on Friday, Ryan. We're going to preview this thing in full on Friday after we get that first look. Uh, as the week progresses. Yeah, a lot in store tonight, a lot on Friday. Like I said, you know, Bills are one and one now. So now we turn the page to Washington and there's plenty to talk about. So why don't you get us started here a little bit with uh, Josh Allen and what he had to say today, Matt? Yeah, so Josh was at the podium today and we got a little bit of, you know, he talked, he was very, gave a self-assessment about where things have been the last couple of games the preseason, it went so well. I mean, this offense was moving the ball up and down the field and it's almost like you hit, see that red light on the highway and your car comes crashing to a screeching halt. It's almost what this passing game is, has went through the last two weeks. Now there's some things we're going to get into, but here is Josh talking a little bit about what's been going wrong or what he's been dealing with here early on in the season. I demand so much of myself and, um, you know, I want to, I want to 
execute at such a high level you know when things aren't going the way I, I get so frustrated with myself so I got to find a way to to keep going be light for the guys and be the best leader that I can be for this team I just I want I want it so bad it's hard to tone down that aspect when I when I expect something out of myself and something I I can do when I do regularly in practice and I've shown it and there's sometimes you know obviously there's a couple times in the games where I've missed and um, you know maybe letting it affect me too much so uh, just just trying to you know, the best quarterbacks are the ones that can forget about the previous play and move on to the next. And um, you know, guys, guys make mistakes. Guys make miss, you know, miss throws. That's uh, how we bounce back from it. That makes us uh, who we are. And um, you know, that's what we're looking forward to do. I'm excited to get out there on Sunday and um, you know, get the ball to our guys. So first things first, I think that what he's talking about there is, I think it was to be expected in a lot of ways. And people talk about the regression and, you know, Josh 2019, Josh Allen. Well, you go back in last season, there wasn't a lot of adversity for this offense. It, it clicked pretty well, pretty fast, Ryan. And I think part of that was there was no tape on this offense with Stefan Diggs and what that was going to mean and how defenses had to play him. I think defenses have, have adjusted quite a bit as we've seen in these first two weeks. And I feel like these two defenses specifically are tailor made to make things more difficult on Josh Allen. And I think the good news, if you're a Bills fan is he's gone through this, these frustrations now week one, week two, and maybe better prepare himself for going through these situations as things maybe get easier against some other defenses. And, and when he gets to those tougher matchups down the season, he can kind of pick from these experiences and, and go back to them and react in different ways. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. Listen, football is kind of like chess. You know, there's tape out there, like you said, and these defenses have started to adjust to the Bills. You saw in Pittsburgh, they were able to get pressure with just their front. They knew that if you blitzed Josh Allen last year, he was going to make you pay for it. So they just got it done with their guys up front. Last year, wide receivers were running wild against the Miami Dolphins. This year, week two, although, you know, obviously the final score is pretty lopsided. I thought that the Dolphins cornerbacks did a really good job bracketing Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley. So defenses have adjusted to what the Bills were putting on tape last year. Now it's up to Josh Allen and company to adjust to what they're seeing. I was going to write a big takeout on Josh Allen, and it's up at the site now, um, uh, New York Upstate, Syracuse.com. You can go check it out, give it a read. Uh, everything that we heard about Josh Allen's early season struggles from Brian Dable, Sean McDermott, and Josh himself. Uh, you can read that right now. But talking to Brian on Monday about Josh, I thought he gave a really kind of interesting look into that dynamic between coordinator and, and quarterback. And he said he walked into the meeting rooms with him and talking to him on Monday before the press conference. And he said it, he didn't want to go as far as to say that he looked despondent, but he was he was pretty low. He was down in the dumps. And, you know, it, it was such a high that they rode last season. And it's it's just been clunky. You said it, I thought, really good on the Sunday show after the game that there there is to be a little bit of an expectation of a letdown. It's happening for Josh himself in this offense. But I think what Brian did a really good job of is he he kind of flipped the script and and focused on the good things that Josh has been doing. And Sean McDermott kind of doubled down on that today. You know, some of the things that, you know, maybe we weren't focusing in on enough. Sean mentioned it today, the throwaways on first down where the Josh Allen of 2019 probably would have tried to force something, make something happen with things going bad. He made the smart play. And, and Brian Dable said, if you got to throw the ball away five or six times in a game and it's the right decision, it's the smart play, do it every time. I want you to do that. That's important. It's very important. And, you know, not just throwing it away and not trying to like fit a, a dangerous pass. And, but instead of trying to maybe 
elude the pressure and end up with a sack that goes for a 15 or 20 yard loss. We haven't really seen that either. He, he's had pressure in his face a few times and he's done enough to roll away to get out of the pocket. So that way, uh, when he does throw away, he doesn't get flagged for intentional grounding. So he, he's done a nice job in some areas like that. He put together a really good drive to start the second half in that Miami game. We know about the past Emmanuel Sanders early. So there, there were bits and pieces. There were flashes. Uh, and, and you mentioned it, though. He, he may not be despondent right now, but th- there's that picture going around. So I guess it's not a meme, but there's the picture of him sitting there looking upset on the sidelines in that Miami game. And underneath it, it shows the score, and it literally says 35 nothing Bills. But he looks so unpleased with his performance that you know he's going to put that work in. He's going to watch the tape, see what teams are doing, and he and Brian Dibble are really going to go out there and make some adjustments here sooner rather than later. You know, I thought Sean, uh, he was saying some interesting things too. And, you know, I actually asked him the question about Josh and, and, and reacting to some of his early season struggles here. And, you know, he made the comment that maybe we're missing some of it in the media because we're focused on what he did last year. And obviously the contract came up. And when you sign, when you become the second richest player in the NFL, you know, the expectations move up. And they were already going to be sky high, even if the deal wasn't done. And you see how Lamar Jackson has played to start this season. He looks like he's regained his MVP form. You know, the pressure just kind of get kind of gets ratcheted up. But he said inside the building, you know, they want to play winning football. And this team on both sides of the ball did that. They scored five times. And some of the plays that Josh made allowed them to score. And one play in particular, that I think Sean was talking about some short throws that in the past, I think, you know, 2019, Josh Allen struggled with. There was that big play in the third quarter, uh, third and six. It was just a seven yard uh, gain to Stefan Diggs. Allen was rolling out to his left. He threw back across his body and it was, it was a gorgeous dart. I mean, Xavier Howard was plastered on him. I mean, it was really good coverage. He put in a place Seven-yard gain, first down, the next play, the Dawson Knox touchdown. So they're trying to focus on some of the little things. And and I've maintained throughout this whole you know two-game funk, if you will, there's little pieces to this that feel like they're laying the groundwork for this offense to really start, you know, collecting the snowball, you know, rolling down the hill as it gets bigger and bigger. They're figuring out ways to be effective in the run game. They're, they're energizing their offensive line in that department. You could see it on Sunday, the way that, you know, John Feliciano and Deion Dawkins reacted running down the field to celebrate with Devin Singletary. They're having these little pockets of success. And when they finally start to have it, and if Josh can focus on getting in that early game rhythm, that's when I think this passing offense can take off. Yeah, I, I think you made some great points there. And there were also little plays where Josh used his feet, some run plays where he he moved the chains. He needed six yards. He ended up getting seven. There was the one where it, it was initially ruled a touchdown, but he was ruled short. It was still first and goal after that. So he, he's running when he needs to. He was being savvy. I thought that throw to Knox that you mentioned was maybe one of his best throws of the day because the, the placement on it was right on the money. So there's things for him to build on. But overall, there's so much for this team overall to build on. The emergence of Devin Singletary over these first two weeks, looking more like the rookie version of himself. Zach Moss being able to punch the ball in twice. Obviously, John Feliciano bouncing back with two big key run blocks to let each of those backs score. And then the defense itself has been unbelievable across the board, uh, front seven, secondary, you name it. So there's these building blocks in place. And if you can get the defense playing like it has for the first two weeks, get Josh Allen back on track and keep that run game or maintain the run game, this team will be more dangerous than the, the team that made it to the championship game one year ago. Now, mind you, there's a lot of ifs in there and, and things like that, but they obviously have the talent to get it done. 
you know, what's been working for this team so far through two games, Ryan, has been this defense. And I think there's been a couple performers that have really stood out, uh, but I wanted to focus in a little bit more on AJ Epinesa today. And I, I know we've both gone back and watched the game. I mean, can you really put into perspective a little bit how important his emergence is for this defense, knowing what else they have available on the defensive line? Yeah, Matt, when we went live after the game, I think uh, he ended up being our third star of the game. I went back and rewatched it. He jumped all the way up to my first star of the game. Mm. He was the guy. Nine pressures on 28 pass rush attempts. That That's insanity in itself. And, it, and it's the way that he did it. He used power moves at times. He he ducked down past the right tackle and got right around him on that hit on Tua. Uh, he was able to cut inside on one of the plays where he had pressure. None of those plays resulted in sacks for A.J. Epineza, but it resulted in a sack for Greg Rousseau. It resulted in a sack for Justin Zimmer. It resulted in a turnover on downs on the play that he knocked Tua out and injured his wrist. And it resulted in an intentional grounding on a hit that he had on Jacoby Brissett. So four of his nine pressures, and and that's just four off the top of my head, resulted in really positive plays for this Bills defense. And if you get him going and you get Greg Rousseau cleaning up some of these sacks and you still have Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison, we saw what Ed Oliver did in week one. This defensive line under Eric Washington, under Leslie Frazier, has the potential to really make a Josh Allen-like ascension from one year to the next where I thought they were a little disappointing last year, and they can take this huge leap this year, I think we're off to a really promising start. I look at this line, and I look at Epinesa, and I I, I mentioned it in our chat before we went live here today, is I, I saw a different player today at the podium. I mean, every time we talked to AJ since he got drafted, I mean, we saw a little bit of that you know, fire when he, he slid in the draft. But over the course of this last year, it's really been about figuring out how to build the house up to being a contributing player on this team. And I feel like there was such a sigh of relief. I don't even want to say sigh of relief, but I feel like he could finally be himself now. And I saw that in the press conference today. I thought that he came out and there was a couple of things that really uh, stood out to me. First of all, the intelligence level that he's now playing with. He's always had it. He's been a smart guy. I think that's something that stood out during the draft process, but he talked about, you know, setting things up over the course of the game. And, you know, they were, they were pushing with the bull rush over and over again. He was trying to use his hands. He was trying to be physical. They were doing that as a unit, all the guys, what they were doing is they were kind of setting a trap so that as the game goes along, they can kind of start to win with different moves. And now, of course, the move that he really won with early was that speed rush on the outside that that knocked Tua out. And we learned today that Tua's got fractured ribs. I mean, that was a that was a shot that is really going to have an impact on the Miami Dolphins franchise. I mean, who's to say when he's ready to go where they're at? I, I there was already on shaky ground with Tua there, right? Oh, absolutely on shaky ground. And if you lose these next few games with Jacoby Brissett, uh you, you might start thinking, you know, what what do we have to do in, in 2022 to get this right? Do we have to go back to the drawing board and draft a quarterback? Do do the rumors around Deshaun Watson, who's just sitting there in Houston and uh, not playing week after week, do those you know heat up again around the trade deadline? Do they sell the, the farm maybe if they're even in, in the mix for a wild card spot to try to do something this year in long term? It, it is really interesting because there's still just as many questions as there, as there are answers about Tua, but 
one thing on AJ Epinesa, listen, there's a lot of trust involved when you get drafted by a team and, and they tell you, we like you, we like your skill set, but we want you to drop down by about 20 pounds from where you've <laughs> played your entire college career. I'm sure in his mind, he's thinking, is my power still going to be there? Am I really going to gain that much speed? But he he went ahead and did it last year. And you saw flashes that second Patriots game late in the season of what he could be. But he's already surpassed his pressure amount from his entire rookie year through two weeks. And that speaks volumes. Mm-hmm. The fact that he had nine pressures in one game speaks volumes. And like you said, when you see those kind of results in two games, you compare it to what he did over his entire rookie year. Yeah, I, I would hope you'd see a different AJ Epines up at the podium. He his confidence right now should be sky high. Here's something else that he said that I thought. I mean, it, it, to me, this is the real indicator of a player, right? I asked him, you know, you had about as good of a game as you could have without re- actually recording a sack. Here's what he said: It's exciting because you do so well, and sacks are distributed to the whole team. The Bills had six. But it's also disappointing just because you get there so many times and you don't quite get him down. You could be once one step or he throws it right before you get there. Or you just miss him. I had a couple of just plain old misses. So those are the things I want to cut down on and keep those pressures coming, but get him down and get that loss of yardage there. There's a hunger here in this player. I mean, you, you, you almost, you know, wet the appetite a little bit with your ability to win in all these fun, different ways. And you're starting to really see yourself. It's one thing to do these things in practice, but I think it's something else completely to do it in the game. And now you set yourself up that, you know, you're setting new goals for yourself. Okay. You had nine pressures this week. How do I get a sack and, and, and eight or nine pressures again next week? And this week, especially, we're going to talk to Sam in a little while about Taylor Heineke, Ryan Fitzpatrick out and the very young quarterback who I thought, um, you know, Sean McDermott was very high on today. And we'll talk about that in a little while as well. This could be a, another game where a guy like AJ can feast. And then you're talking about Davis Mills with Houston in two weeks. I mean, it is a nice four games to start for a young couple young defensive linemen. Yeah. And listen, Heineke's shown some things. I thought he, he had a really impressive performance last year in the playoffs against Tampa Bay. I thought he was really good on, on Thursday night football against the Giants last week. He'll have a little extra preparation coming into this game, but there's going to be opportunities where he's going to hold the ball and, and Epineza can come up from behind or another pass rusher. And he can clean up those misses because he, he's right. There were some where he was right on uh, Jacoby Brissett's back and he missed him. And then that led to a, another sat for, I think it was Rousseau's second one. He came in a split second later. So he's going to have opportunities. And then Davis Mills, you know, I'm sure that whole defensive line is going to be licking their, their chops, so to speak, just because in an ideal world, when you look at these two rosters, Buffalo, is, it seems like they have significantly more talent. They should be able to build a lead. And then you put Davis Mills in a a have to pass all the time situation that could be where AJ Epinesa or Greg Rousseau or some of these guys end up with multiple sacks in that matchup. Everybody wants to talk about the newest Buffalo Bills practice squad offensive tackle. Bobby Hart is back in the mix. And, you know, this move comes one day after the Philadelphia Eagles got uh, pretty crafty and, and, and poached uh, rookie guard Jack Anderson, the Bills' seventh round draft pick from the Bills practice squad. Initial thoughts on Anderson out and Bobby Hart back in. It's kind of like when when you ask someone to bring maybe like Dr. Pepper to a birthday party and they go to the dollar store and they get like that generic version of it. And I'm not saying that Jack Anderson's ever going to develop into something, but I think the Bills really liked him or like 
you know, Dr. or Dr. Thunder or something like that instead of Dr. Pepper. So no, it's Mr. Pip, dude. Mr. Mr. Pip. Pip, I think think that's still kind of a brand name. I think there's some real generic. I was going to say, I I like Mr. Pip. Yeah, I think that's solid. I think that one's solid. Uh, (laughs) That's all right. But, you know, we've already seen what Bobby Hart can do. And and listen, the answer is not much. Uh, He was pretty bad at training camp. He was awful in the preseason. I have no idea how he started 13 games with the Cincinnati Bengals one year ago. That just kind of goes to show you the lack of offensive line talent across this league. He is a liability when he's on the field. I'm not sure what you're going to get out of him on this practice squad other than just an extra body occasionally. Maybe it's to to help uh, boost the confidence of some of these defensive linemen that will go against in practice. I don't know. But he is not someone that you want to elevate on a week by week basis. He's not someone you want to get in your lineup. So, uh, you know, you you hope he's just keeping the seat warm for another move that's to come. Yeah, on Anderson, I think um, it's kind of disappointing. But this is the kind of situation that you, you find yourself in when you have a roster like this. And I know everybody likes to go back to the the Bobby or the uh, Wyatt Teller situation. For every Wyatt Teller, you're probably going to have four or five players that never end up even playing a snap in the NFL or, you know, or, or any meaningful snaps, I should say, in the NFL. So I think it's a, a slight overreaction thinking that, you know, the Bills lost out on some great player in Jack Anderson. And who's to know who's to say that, you know, he gets back in the mix, they get healthy and Jack Anderson is right back on the street and the Bills can pluck him and bring him right back onto the practice squad as this season goes along. Uh, we'll see how that all plays out. But Bobby Hart is probably a confidence booster, like you mentioned. I think that that's something that we saw during training camp all summer long. And, you know, I think Greg Rousseau was able to go into the year with a lot of confidence from all the matchups. He got a, a chance to go against Bobby Hart. So we'll see how, how that progresses. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. All right. If you're just uh, joining us, welcome into the show. Our numbers are popping. We're brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets from hot to go pizza and appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs, delicious salads and brownie trays. Tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest fan. We are going to shift gears here shortly and we are going to start to discuss this weekend's matchup, the Buffalo Bills and the Washington football team. Initial thoughts here, um, Ryan, uh, before we get to uh, Sam here, who's going to join us in a minute. Yeah, I think this is kind of a a good test for the Bills compared to where they struggled in week one. I think that Washington's defensive front is really impressive in terms of talent and potential. So this offensive line is going to be challenged this week, and and they're going to have to respond in, in a much more impressive fashion than they did against the Pittsburgh Steelers in week one. Indeed. Sam. Thank you so much, my man, for joining us tonight uh, on short notice. Huge game this weekend. Uh, the Washington football co- team comes in here, and I think most fans were excited to get, to get a look at Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's going to be Taylor Heineke. Thoughts <laughs> on how he's played so far, what the Bills can expect to see in him. When you switch from Ryan Fitzpatrick to Taylor Heineke, you're really swapping experience for mobility. I mean, these guys, you know, neither of them are, are the strongest armed guys, you know, Obviously, they both like to go down the field. They both like, I think, you know, throwing in rhythm. They kind of rely on their, on their head, maybe a little bit more than their physical ability. But with 
Taylor Heineke, you're going to see a lot of mobility. You're going to see some extending plays. Uh, he said he thinks that that part of his game is similar to Josh Allen's. Obviously, Taylor Heineke is not 6'5 and does not have a rocket arm, but that's a little similar. Um, and I think you're going to see him, you know, maybe scramble for some first downs, though uh, he he tries to avoid that because that is what happened in the playoff game where he separated the shoulder. And, uh, you know, that's happened to him a lot throughout his career. So uh, I think you'll expect to see mobility, extending plays with his legs and then trying to win with his head. You know, I really liked his performance on Thursday Night Football. Obviously, being a good quarterback, the first thing you want to do is get the ball to your playmakers. And Terry McLaurin had 11 receptions in that matchup. But but he also hit Logan Thomas and McKissick, who's dangerous out of the backfield as a receiver, and uh, Adam Humphreys as well. So how is he doing in terms of getting past that first read and really spreading it out across the field based on what you saw last year in that playoff game, what maybe you saw over the summer, and obviously from Thursday Night Football? Yeah. So the first thing we should say is that Taylor Heineke's sample size here is really only 11 quarters. Uh, You know, he, he got cut at Carolina in in August, 2019. He was in, he was a backup in the XFL, the St. Louis battle Hawks. And and then, you know, obviously came in here as the quarantine QB and with Alex with injury ends up starting. So the sample size is small, but in terms of getting past his first read, I, I really think that is the thing um, that, that he would say is his strength. Touchdown to Ricky Seals Jones, the third tight end in that back corner of the end zone on Thursday Night Football, the one you know right before they, they took the lead for good. That was his third read, and and he threw it. Uh, or he said that was his third read. He threw it, you know, away from the corner at a point where only his receiver uh, could catch that ball. It was either going to be incomplete or a touchdown, and uh, you know, obviously it worked out. But I think reading the field, understanding what defenses are trying to do to him, you know, when they bring pressure, when they, you know, play man or zone. I mean, that's the strength of his game is he thinks figuring that out and countering it. You know, flipping to the other side of the ball, Buffalo in week one really struggled against Pittsburgh's defensive front. They weren't bringing extra pressure, blitz, uh, blitzers or anything like that. And you look at Washington, obviously Chase Young is the name that everyone talks about. But can, can you speak a little bit about the rest of that defensive line and how much uh, damage they could potentially do against Buffalo's offensive line on, on Sunday? So there, there's two parts to this. The first part is the talent. Like you said, Chase Young, but they have three other first rounders. Uh, they have the two guys in the middle of Alabama, Deron Payne and John Allen. John Allen signed a big contract extension this offseason, four years, 72 million. He already has three sacks in two games. That's more than he had all of last year with two. And on the other side, at the other end, you got Montez Sweat, another big, long Chase Young type guy, loves to use that long arm against tackles. Uh, I think that's, you know, he might be one of the best long arms uh, defense defensive ends in the league. Uh, so, so you have the talent and, and certainly on paper, they should be able to get home. But in the first two games, they've actually been quite disappointing in Washington. It's been one of Ron Rivera's biggest frustrations with this team is because those front four uh, last year, this is what this team relied on to get pressure. Uh, you know, I think they rushed about two thirds of the time they were rushing just four, and they were generating a good amount of pressure with that this year. They, they have not been successful for a multitude of reasons. You've had missed assignments. According to Rivera, you've had, you know, missed gaps. And I think uh, that you've had to blitz a little bit more. So, how much damage can they do to the Bills offensive line, I think is a big question, um, not just because of talent, but because of can that talent apply the principles that they're supposed to. That's what I think a lot of teams have figured out against the Bills, at least to this stage in the season, is that you you can get the pressure with that front four. That's when you're able to kind of play back and take away some of their weapons. 
Let's go to the Washington secondary. Uh, obviously, some some interesting pieces there. I thought William Jackson was a nice uh, free agent addition. Landon Collins, obviously, in the mix. Wh- what have you seen early on from them and maybe their ability uh, to, to take away Stephon Diggs or Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, some of the talent that the Bills have at the pass-catching positions? Last year, Washington struggled uh, against number one receivers. They were in the bottom, you know, they were in the bottom five of DVOA against top wideouts. And so I think what you saw was this offseason, Washington go out and get William Jackson for a player exactly like Stephon Diggs, not only against Stephon Diggs, but this last year, defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio uh, said he thought that they, they played a little bit too much zone. According to you know various analytics sites, they were playing about 60 to 70% zone. So with William Jackson, they're hoping to get a little bit more man coverage. Uh, they're hoping that you know they can maybe mix and match, you know, third and shorts, especially you want to be able to play press man. And William Jackson allows you to do that in theory. There's been a little bit of, of trouble translating that over, especially with the footwork and the technique of, of teaching William Jackson how to play man. He's talked about that being a process. So, so that's, that's his side of it. Um, you have Kendall Fuller who's playing outside in, in inside, uh, you know, really versatile piece, but, but like you said, I think Landon Collins, they have a really interesting three safety rotation right now. I think they're using it, you know, based on certain packages, but you've got Cam Curl, the rookie standout uh, from last year's seventh round pick. Uh, you've got Landon Collins, who I think has struggled a little bit coming back from that Achilles tear, even though that uh, you know he looks good. And Bobby McCain, that center fielder, free safety from Miami. Um, those three really rotate between those two spots. And in, in certain packages, there are three of them on the field. But I think really when you talk about this defensive back group, uh, you talk about William Jackson. Can he be that number one guy? And you talk about who are the three, who of the three safeties are on the field. Field. And, and I think opposing offenses have really been looking at uh, rookie cornerback Benjamin St. Juice to give you guys another name. I know I started to overload, but uh, oh, the third like round it. pick out of Minnesota, <laughs> <laughs> the third round pick out of Minnesota outside the Chargers really went after him in his debut. And I think that's a guy who, you know, especially young in his career, when you look at the veteran experience, that's a guy people have been picking on. And I think Landon Collins as well. The Giants uh, in the run game, you know, ran a couple of read options to his side. And one of them sprung loose for, for a 56-yard gain. So I think those are the two, Juice and uh, Collins, those are the two that the Bills you know, might target if they're like Washington's previous opponents. You know, Sam, Brian Dable isn't shy to draw up some uh, design run plays for Josh Allen. And last week on Thursday Night Football, Daniel Jones rushed for 95 yards and a touchdown on nine carries. What was it that the Giants were doing or that uh, schematically maybe that worked so well for Jones that maybe the Bills could mimic the Sunday? set you up perfectly for that transition. Uh, <laughs> I mean, really, that's what they were doing. They were running that read option with, with Jones. And, and, you know, it was, uh, it was really what they'd done the last three games that Jones had played with them. And, and, and really, I think Ron Rivera was kind of baffled by the lack of discipline uh, on the edge. You have uh, the second group of defensive ends, James Smith Williams, uh, gave up a really long one. Landon Collins, as, as I said, gave up a really long one. So I think it's really... You know, I don't think the schematics, maybe, maybe Dayball will come up with something, uh, something I hadn't seen before, but I don't think the schematics were, were the problem for Washington stopping Jones. I think it was really just discipline because Ron Rivera can get fired up in press conferences for sure. But I, I think that one, he almost looked a little nonplussed. He looked a little confused, like, Hey, he's done this to us the last three games. We told you he was going to do it again. And yet still we weren't able to stop it. So I think it's, it's a little bit more confusion rather than, uh, or it's a little bit more confusion at, in execution rather than a confusion, creating that gap. 
So Antonio Gibson, obviously a fantasy uh, breakout star last year, dealing with a shoulder injury was limited today. Do you anticipate that he plays? And even if he does play being banged up, how are things kind of stacking up behind him? Because obviously a lot of, uh, you know, local Buffalo football fans uh, rooting for uh, Jared Patterson. Maybe get some carries. Yeah, Jared, Jared Patterson was extremely complimentary uh, of uh, of New Era Field, if it's still called that. Um, which I got to say, I mean, I went to Syracuse, so you know, I, I've certainly been there, uh, and it, it is it is a tremendous environment. But uh, to get to the real thing that people want to know, fantasy football, uh, Antonio Gibson's shoulder, I think, is is going to be fine. I mean, he injured it in Week One. He was on the injury report before you know the Giants game, and, and he ended up being fine. The, the diminished carries, the diminished touches for him on Thursday football were really situational because when Washington went no huddle, shotgun, two-minute drive there at the end, they used running back J.D. McKissick, who was, who was a big factor last year, but they just like him a little bit better in the past game. I think, you know, uh, his, I think his experience, he's the type of guy that they want in there uh, during those situations. So I think it's, li- it's going to be a little bit script dependent, but um, Antonio Gibson has actually shown a lot of progress as a rusher uh, this year. You know, he averaged, I think, between five and six yards a carry against the Giants. And that's important because at Memphis, he was a receiver. I mean, learning running back is new to him. And, and Ron Rivera talks about him, you know, stepping into this Christian McCaffrey-esque role. And, and I think that might be a little soon. And, and obviously, anytime you talk about Christian McCaffrey, I mean, that's a high comparison. But Antonio Gibson's health should be fine. Uh, I think that JD McKissick is that, is that second back after him. And we haven't seen a ton of Jarrett Patterson, but I think if the game is lopsided either way in the fourth quarter, I think, you know, uh, or, or if there's a certain package, if they see something they like, I think you're going to see a, a few snaps maybe for Jarrett Patterson. You know, Matt set this up beautifully because Jarrett Patterson has ties the area from his UB days. There's another player in Washington's roster, Cole Holcomb. His parents were both actually graduates from Portville, New York, just, you know, about an hour, hour and a half away from Buffalo. What can you tell fans about Holcomb early in his career here in Washington? Obviously, he's been there for a few seasons now, 11 tackles week one. I think he had five or six last week. How, what is his importance to this defense? Best hair in the NFL. <laughs> and I think you might laugh because this team has Ryan Fitzpatrick had Ryan Fitzpatrick on the field, but uh, he has gone full Joe dirt mullet. And he is really, that, that was like his quarantine hairstyle. I grew a beard for the first time. He really leaned into uh, the mullet. It, his girlfriend is, is really upset. He says, uh, but, but he's really leaned on that. But for real, I think um, he is, been mostly the Sam linebacker uh, covering, you know, tight ends, running backs out of the backfield. That's been his main responsibility. John Bostic on the other side has done it sometimes, but really you've seen him step into a really important role and he's not, I think that the centerpiece of this defense, because that's Jamin Davis, the first round pick out of Kentucky, even though he's had a, a little bit of a slow start, Ron Rivera has called him because everybody has to have a Carolina comp. He's called him the Luke Keekley of this team or who he wants to be the Luke Keekley. Mm-hmm. So I think Cole Holcomb is, is that outside backer, that, that complimentary guy. And obviously he led this team. Uh, he was maybe second on this team in tackles last year. He's, he's a really important figure. Um, and I think what you've seen from him in his growth and his games is trusting his speed in coverage saying, Hey, I can, I can hang with these tight ends. I can hang with these backs out of the backfield. Really. That's what you're going to see from him on the field on Sunday. One more person that, you know, I think Bill's fans are, are very fond of from learning his story, <laughs> started his career here. Uh, Logan Thomas, if you guys t- have talked to him this week, I don't know if you've talked to him yet, but what, what, what he's kind of thinking, if you have about coming back to play in the bills and how has that role 
expanded over the course of time there because here I, I always thought that there was something there, but it just never clicked. And it's, it's interesting. There's been a couple players under Sean McDermott for as many people they, as they've developed in the system here that have gone on to have success afterwards. What, what's he done? We have not talked to Logan Thomas this week, but, but he's talked about Buffalo and, and Arizona previous stops before. And I think really in Detroit, it's, it's, um it's been a pretty remarkable growth for him because in 2020, when they start this rebuild and you tight end seems like the most obvious position they have to address. And they go out and get a guy who I think at the time had maybe you know 30 targets career as a tight end. You, you start, you start to worry and say, you know, okay, what's going on here? But, but tight ends coach Pete Hayner uh, is a big believer in Thomas. He, he has this, you know, prototypical tight end profile, you know, six, five, you know, certain amount of arm length and, and weight and height and speed and all that. And, and Logan Thomas checks every box. And so when he brought him in here, he's Pete Hayner's a real um, salt of the earth guy. You know, he, he stands close to the media at practice and he is, you know, he's crushing Logan on, on the daily, even, and, and uh, even though it's a star pupil, but uh, the, the strides Logan has made last year, you know, obviously 700 yards, 60 catches, you know, you know statistics that, that seemed outlandish. If you had said them before the season, uh, Pete Hayner really said, you know, Hey, like, I think that's just a step. I think he has another leap in him. I think this guy can be a top five tight end in, in the league. And so like the thing that I took from that, other than I need someone in my corner who believes in me, like Pete Hayner believes in Logan is just like, you should expect <laughs> to see his role in the offense continue to grow, especially if you're going to have a guy like Taylor Heineke, who isn't necessarily going to take all the deep shots and he's going to like to check it down. Um, I think that's a guy who you're going to see, you know, probably pretty active. Sam Fortier, the Washington post coolest Twitter bio out there. Football team. beat. <laughs> You can, you can have it in there for, for at least another maybe year or so when they finally pick a name, but we appreciate you, man. Thanks so much for coming on. We'll get you out of here. Thanks so much guys for having me. I really appreciate it. There we go. From the Washington football beat, Sam Fortier, uh, bringing you all the knowledge. He was awesome. I mean, that was great. Yeah. Just, yeah, just having him uh, check in there. We always enjoy that. We're going to bring in Sarah Holland now to the program. Sarah, what do you got for us? I do want to bring in a good question that I actually caught in the chat at the beginning of tonight's show. It's It was by Anthony Cole, I believe. And he asked if Taron Johnson keeps playing at this level, will the Bills be able to retain him um, this offseason? It's a great question, Ryan. And first of all, this is a great example. I'll let Ryan start here because uh, we were actually talking about this, uh, me and Joe Biscalia from The Athletic today. Um, so we can get into that in a minute, but I want Ryan to take it first. It's a great example why even if you drop a question in the first couple minutes now, you better stick around for the end because it could be featured in our spe- special closing section. Ryan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, my thoughts are he's he's already approaching that status of you you can't let this guy leave based on what we've seen in the second half of 2020 and the beginning of 2021. And, you know, the, the price could be a little higher than some people expect because a lot of teams uh, realize the importance of the nickel cornerback position. But that being said, I think there's also a lot of Bills players that realize that if you leave Buffalo, especially if it's a short-term deal or, or maybe you're not blown away with the other offers, you might not fit into other defenses schematically like you do in the ones that you currently play. And so uh, I think there's something to be said about Taron Johnson wanting to stay in Buffalo. He's comfortable here. He knows the ins and outs of this defense extremely well. We've seen so many players who have left, not just in Buffalo, across the league, 
go to a new team, a new system and really struggle and never find that same success. So uh, I think that the bills are going to be able to move some money around, have, have that right amount of money there. If he continues to play the way that he has early here in 2021, you know, one guy to look at, I think, you know, considered at, at, at a time, especially when he signed the, to sign the deal was um, Kenny Moore from Indianapolis signed a four year, $33 million contract. And that's something that you're probably looking at, but you know, there's a couple factors that kind of are baked in here. The bills are going to have some decisions to make you play your quarterback. He's obviously going to, you know, cost significantly more next year. You're probably looking at a new deal for Stefan Diggs here pretty soon. Uh, especially if he's able to turn in a year like this. Starla Tule, who I want to talk about a little bit today, he did not practice, um, which is a separate topic that I think we should get into. I think he showed, without a shadow of a doubt, his importance this past weekend. I think a lot of the success that this Bills defensive line had this past week, I think you can attribute some of that, at least, to Star's presence and his ability to get back in there, eat some of those blocks. And I even, you know, Joe said it in his, uh, I think, his All-22 column, Star was even pretty effective as a pass rusher in this game. And, and so that's, that's a situation where, yeah, I know, I know that they've, you know, they've, they've stocked up there. They have Vernon Butler, they have Harrison Phillips, they have Justin Zimmer, but I think, you know, we saw that, that movie last year. And, and I think that, that what they want to, what they were banking on is getting star back and being able to utilize some of these younger players and have them work off of what he brings to the table. So even if you restructure stars deal, I think his importance and his value is at about where you have it. So that's something that you're going to have to consider is some of these guys that you've paid, you paid Matt Milano. He's playing like one of the best linebackers in the NFL right now. Taron Johnson, if he's able to have this full season that I think that you do want to keep him in the mix, but the, the financials of it all are going to be interesting to track. All right. What else you got uh, for us there? All right. So there was lots of praise for the bills defense tonight in the chat, especially earlier on. And I know um, that you guys are going to go into a little bit more detail on Friday, but uh, what are some keys that you guys have for the Bills defense in a week three against Washington? So, you know, I, I'm looking at uh, this situation and I think it, you know, hearing um, Sam talk about where things have been a struggle for the Washington football team so far is not getting pressure with that front four. I think if you're the Bills, you look to, Take advantage of some mismatches, maybe some some matchup problems for the for the Washington football team in their secondary. Go back to week one and two, Ryan. These were teams that not only matched up well with the Bills, they were teams that were familiar with the Bills. Pittsburgh played them last year. Miami's ultra familiar with this Bills offense after playing it twice last season. Washington does not have that luxury. And while Ron Rivera is obviously very familiar with Sean McDermott's defense, what Brian Dable does on offense, I think that that's, you know, unless they're really able to overwhelm this offensive line, which is could be the case. I mean, Chase Young is a beast. Montez Sweat, uh, obviously, um, Allen in the middle. He's been he's been really impressive. I think that they have the horses up front to make things interesting. But I just wonder on the uh, in that secondary, if they have enough that back seven to, to take this group of playmakers out of a game for a third straight week. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Matt. Those wide receivers, I, I think, are going to have more opportunities in this game. Um, you, you know, you saw in the first week against the Chargers, I, I want to say that Williams and Allen combined for almost 180 yards receiving, 17 receptions. So they, you know, they don't have the depth at wide receiver that Buffalo has, and their top two guys were able to kind of feast on that defense to a certain extent. I think that Buffalo's receiving core is going to have their moments. And for the Bills on defense, I think it's all about getting that pressure for 
the second consecutive week. You have Taylor Heineke, who, as was mentioned by Sam, has 11 quarters of experience. You get that pressure on him, and he's going to try to make some plays with his arm that maybe he shouldn't be attempting. And that's when Trey White can come in. And Levi Wallace, who, again, watching back that game, the way he peeled off his receiver to intercept that pass to Mike Gusecki, uh, just showed you know his knowledge of the game, his knowledge of this defense so well. The safety unit with uh, Hyde and Poyer. I think there's going to be opportunities for interceptions if that front four of Buffaloes can get the pressure or if they send that extra blitzer. Because I think Heineke is at that point now where he's not thinking about throwing it away or, or just you know making the safe play. He wants to prove over this stretch of time that he's their that franchise quarterback and that when Ryan Fitzpatrick's back, they don't turn over the keys to the veteran. So he's going to get himself into some situations that I think the Bills can take advantage of on Sunday. All right, Sarah, take us through the injury report, if you would, because I, th- I think uh, both of us will have some thoughts on uh, what's happening here on Wednesday. So we see that Cole Beasley and um, Jerry Hughes, they both have the vet rest, but I also saw that Star Latule is out or injured with a uh, groin and uh, Levi Wallace with a knee. Yeah, I want to get into that first and yeah. foremost, Ryan, because what's interesting about the Levi Wallace situation with the knee injury we thought that that was cramping the other day. So unless that happened on the practice field, the last couple of days, I, I feel like that's kind of a new development. Uh, Dane Jackson uh, also listed today uh, with a knee injury. He was limited. Now, Sean did not mention him this morning. So that seems like something that maybe was tweaked during practice. Now you're looking at your, your CB two and Levi Wallace who had to lead the last game dealing with a knee. He was full today. So that's a good, that's a good sign. He looked like he was moving around. Well, Dane Jackson now limited with a knee. Your depth is all of a sudden an issue. They got Cam Lewis on the practice squad. There was a couple of workouts this week that now all of a sudden, like our good friend Bruce Nolan pointed out on my tweet earlier, make a lot of sense. What were they? Yeah, they had Quentin Dunbar in. They had Demarius Randall in. So cornerback in the safety. Um, you know, I was told nothing eminent on Randall, but you know, you never know. You want to do your due diligence on players like that, especially at, at this point in the season because you're one injury away or you're one move away. Like we saw when uh, the, the Bills lost Jack Anderson, some people were speculating maybe one of those two secondary players would take that spot. It obviously was hard at the time, but you always want to have a list of players ready to go at both positions. And it wouldn't shock me if Dunbar was kind of waiting in the wings here to sign sooner rather than later. But you mentioned it. Levi Wallace participating in full today. That's an encouraging sign. Uh, and I think cramping is the logical uh, assumption that people came up with because of the way they were stretching him out on the field, that's not something you typically do when someone says that their knees giving them issues. It's if when you're cramping the Miami heat that was going on in that game. So you have to wonder if and uh, when it took place. But encouraging that he participated in full. Dane Jackson, you want to see him participate a little bit more here over the course of the week as well. But then shifting gears to Star Latule, Matt, you were mentioning how important he was one week ago. It's troublesome to see him on this injury report again and missing a practice with a groin injury because, you know, groin injuries, no matter what the position, can be tricky. But when you're talking about a big man in the middle, that can really affect your play, not just uh, on a week-by-week basis. It It can knock some players out for an expanded amount of time. So uh, another injury of note, uh, Mike uh, Hyde still dealing with that neck issue. He played last week, obviously, but he was in the red non-contact jersey. You know, I got a message this week, Ryan, from from Sarah Holland, and it's her third Sunday covering the Bills with us here at Syracuse.com. And she's like, my mom got me tickets to the game on Sunday. So can I have the day off until the podcast? And I'm like, of course. I mean, you're going to be at the game. You're going to you're going to you're going to see it all up close. Now, is this your first Bills game in person or have you been? 
already? So I actually went, it's kind of a tradition. I went my freshman year of college. So right before COVID against the Washington football team, I think it was like early November. It was actually Mm -hmm. a birthday present. Um, But since I'm from the DC area, it's kind of exciting to get to watch my hometown team play the Bills. So yeah, I'm super excited. That's awesome. That's awesome. So she's going to take in all the festivities. The place is going to be packed and rocking. Although I did see that there are still some tickets left. I'd imagine that there will not be those tickets left by Sunday. Uh, it's going to be a fun one. We'll be back live on Friday night. We're going to have our preview show. It's going to be a little bit shorter version, maybe 25 minutes. We will bring you some, some stats, some details, uh, you know, go a little bit deeper. We'll talk to some more players over the next couple of days. We'll get some, uh, some coverage from the coming out of the Washington area. Big game on Sundays. The Bills look to go to two and one. We'll probably even have a little bit of an AFC East slant uh, to this to the show as well. This has been the Shout Buffalo Bills Football Podcast, brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets. Hosting a large party? Check out Tops' huge selection of party platters for a delicious, effortless, and affordable, no stress way to impress. For complete details, stop by their Carryout Cafe or visit topsmarkets.com forward slash fantasy foodball that's f-o-o-d-b-a-l-l ryan talbot sarah holland we are out of here i'm matt perino we'll see you on friday shout a buffalo football podcast hosted by matt perino and ryan talbot